So President Biden actually helped directly fund the Hamas terror attack. And I'm not talking about the $6 billion that Biden sent to Iran. Biden actually handed Hamas $75 million just days before this terror attack, even though the Biden administration was warned that the money would be used to attack Israel. Yes, I am not kidding. It should come as no surprise. Biden has made the United States one of the world's biggest sponsors of terror. So that is coming up, those chilling details. And coming up, the latest on the war in Israel. And this is not a war. I'm tired of the media referring to this as a war and as a conflict. This is survival. This is self-defense. This is a group of terrorists, not terrorists. These are not humans. These are monsters. These are subhuman animal savages. There are no words in the dictionary to describe how, how viciously evil these people are. They invaded a country. Okay, they they, they, they inflicted such, such horrific damage. It is unthinkable. And now the country, the victim, retaliates in self-defense. Okay, that's not called a war. President Biden, Biden is heading to Israel. What's his real agenda? Why is he really going to Israel? One reason only I will explain coming up. In other news of the day, Jim Jordan has been nominated for House Speaker, and he already lost the first round of voting. But, you know, we know under Kevin McCarthy, when he was elected Speaker, it took like 15 rounds. So Jim Jordan isn't anywhere near where, where Kevin McCarthy was. We know that Steve Galise could not uh, attain the threshold of 217 votes. Jim Jordan lost the first round. There were about 20 Republican holdouts. Why would any Republican, I don't care if you're a moderate, why on earth would you not be trying to vote for Jordan, put him in, put somebody in, put Steve Scalise in? It's unbelievable. They're dysfunctional. The Republican Party is dysfunctional. But I will just say this. And look, uh, Jim Jordan, he's making a very strong push. He may be able to garner the votes. I'd be skeptical because he would be one of the most conservative, I'm sure, the most conservative House Speaker that the uh, Congress has ever had. So it almost seems like it's too good to be true. I mean, if Jim Jordan would pull this off, I would be elated. I mean, Jim Jordan, member of the House Freedom Caucus, strong conservative, strong Trump supporter. He despises the DOJ. He hates. He cracks down on corruption. Uh, he, you know, he's uh, he wants to impeach Biden. He wants to uh, do who knows what to Hunter Biden. He wants to basically clean house at the FBI. I'm Jim Jordan. Everything that we want, all the things that that that, that they need to do to drain drain the swamp. Jim Jordan has been one of the out outspoken proponents of all of those things. But I am a little bit skeptical that he can pull this off. So we will explain all of that. Coming up, Starbucks is being boycotted as they should be because a large union of Starbucks employees are pro Hamas. Pro Hamas, yes, thousands and thousands of Starbucks employees uh, actually support the Hamas terror group. By the way, thousands of Harvard students support Hamas as well, and now they are being blacklisted. They're a bunch of companies that uh, refuse to hire, they say they will never hire. Uh, the Harvard students who have put out these letters in solidarity with the Hamas terror group. A renowned economist who writes for the New York Times says inflation is over. Literally, Paul Krugman says no more inflation. Prices are back to normal. And he actually tried to back it up and tried to bring data. The problem is he left out some basic staple products. He ignored some basics like 
Food, rent, mortgage, cars, like, gee whiz, okay, inflation is over if you don't count, like, 80% of what people actually buy. So we will get, and now he is, of course, being slammed uh, for that, so we will get to that coming up. Plus, at the end of the show, I think a lot of you may find this really interesting. I'm going to respond to a caller. A caller has left me numerous messages. A listener who recently discovered the show, he's left me like 10 messages. I have not had a chance. And they all like go, there's like a five minute time limit. So if you talk on the voicemail, which most people don't for a whole five minutes, then it actually cuts you off. He's left me like a bunch of five minute messages and uh, then a bunch of uh, others. And I haven't had a chance to listen to all of them. He does make some good thoughtful points, thought provoking points. We disagree about a lot of things. He says that he's conservative and I'll explain. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. You know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the points. I kind of jotted down a bunch of the points that he made. He doesn't have a he calls himself a Trump hater. OK, he says that I'm a Trump lover and he says that he's a Trump hater. And then he you know goes on to bash Trump and have all these issues with Trump and say, hey, are, are you, Yaakov, are you going to defend Trump? You always defend Trump. He makes makes it sound like I unconditionally defend Trump and Trump can do no wrong in my eyes, which is not true. And now it happens to be that very often I see eye to eye with Trump and very often things that Trump says are things that I support and I agree with and make a lot of sense to me. But as all of you who listen to this program for a long time know, I will call Trump out when he deserves to be called. I'll call anybody out because it's not about any one person. But either way, you know, he kind of laid out a lot of his issues with Trump and defying me. Hey, can you defend this? So I'm actually going to respond to a lot of his points point by point. And a lot of it's some very fundamental stuff. So I think you might be interested. I think you might enjoy it. That That's going to be at the end of the show. Welcome to the Akavem Show on Yeshiva International, the VIN podcast, Nucky Radio, and many more plot, podcasting platform. Send us an email, josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. We do get a lot of emails. I have been responding to emails as much as I possibly can. I really appreciate your feedback. A lot of positive feedback, and I'm really grateful for that. You know, a lot of you seem to be enjoying. Whether you agree or disagree, that's not the issue. I want to bring out ideas and thoughts that maybe you haven't heard before, bring out new angles. A lot of times, you know, we'll uncover stories that are being totally ignored by the mainstream media, and you might not have heard anywhere else. So as long as there's a buzz, you know, as long as I get kind of you thinking and we can have a dialogue and have a back and forth, I'm always very excited about that. All right, look, we're still obviously very, very close to this unspeakable tragedy. It's only been several days, and uh, let's take a moment right now. You know, on the one hand, we are going to move on. We are going to cover, as I said, in addition to what's going on in Israel, we are going to cover some other news of the day, and I know that that's important, and I know it's an outlet, a, you know, a healthy outlet for many of us. Let's take a moment to focus on the victims. Rachmanolatlan, Loyaleno, Hashem Yimkaim, Damam. Uh, the victims, the hostages, we are davening for the hostages. People are taking kabbalas in this list of the hostages. So much is being done. This is an unthinkable situation. It truly, truly is. I mean, the, the, the minute I let my mind wander there, and it does, of course, from time to time, as it should, as most of us are, it's just simply unbearably painful. We daven for the speedy release of all the hostages. We want them to be safe. We want them to be free as soon as possible. The recovery of the wounded. There are still many, many wounded uh, in hospitals in Eretz Yisrael. And we daven that everybody return home healthy and safe as soon as humanly possible. All right, the State Department helped fund the Hamas terror attack. The State Department gave $75 million to Hamas. This is just several days before 
the attack and they knew that some sort of attack could be imminent. They didn't know that it would be. Obviously, the State Department was not aware of the kind of attack, of the approach that would be used, of the strategy of the paragliders and uh, breaching the wall and all of that. And this, uh, you know, the horrific terror tactics that were used. But listen to this. This is according to the Daily Caller, CNN, and Haaretz. Pretty much all of them covered basically the same details. Some of them before the attack, by the way. And that is the State Department approved a very, very large package of food aid to the Gaza Strip. Okay, this is on October 3rd. Food aid. Okay, Now, we know what food aid. When they give food aid, there's no such humanitarian assistance. Food aid. When they send millions of dollars to Gaza, that money is going to one place. It's going into the pocket of the Hamas terror group. It's going to be used for weapons. It's going to be used to carry out terror attacks, period. Everybody knows this. There is not one person on the planet. I don't care. Anthony Blinken. And I'm not talking about the Palestinians themselves. Don't deny it. Certainly the... The, 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 the civilians in Gaza, who, by the way, are right now being blockaded by their own government, Ga- Hamas, the Hamas terror groups, the, one, the, the ones who are preventing right now, because uh, people are desperately trying to evacuate. They're trying to evacuate the north because the Israelis are going to invade northern Gaza uh, imminently. Now, why, by the way, why has that been delayed? Why has the invasion into northern Gaza? Because it, it's been expected here, anticipated for several days. It was supposed to happen days ago, by all accounts, and yet it's being delayed. The question is why. So we'll actually give you an interesting theory coming up that uh, I actually saw in the Jerusalem Post. But who who is blocking the uh, civilians in Gaza from getting somewhere safe, from evacuating to somewhere safe and getting out of out of harm's way? Hamas, 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 they torture their own people. They use their own citizens as human shields. I mean, the the, the biggest victims of the Palestinians, uh, of Hamas, I should say, are the Palestinian people. So there's no such thing as food aid. It's 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 literally it's Orwellian. It is it is a it is pure lie, pure sheker to claim that millions of dollars being handed to Gaza are somehow humanitarian aid or somehow going to be used for food assistance. But that didn't stop the U.S. State Department from sending food aid, as they've been doing for a long time. But here's the thing. The, the, that package was sent literally just several days after U.S. intel agencies released an assessment saying Hamas was planning to escalate rocket attacks against Israel. So again, they knew about the rocket attacks. That's been uh, Hamas's M.O. here for the last couple of years. They mainly focused on rocket attacks and those, uh, you know, balloons, those uh, explosive balloons, incendiary balloons that go across the border, float across the uh, the border wall. So they weren't expecting the kind of terror attack because that was obviously kept a secret. But Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, signed off on $75 million payment to what's the UNRWA United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees, which, again, it goes straight into the pockets of the Hamas terror group. That was on October 3rd. Republicans said, don't send the money. On September 28th, uh, U.S. intelligence agency circulated a uh, an assessment, okay, that came from multiple intel sources saying Hamas was preparing to, preparing, preparing to ramp up rocket attacks and missile attacks and target Israelis. And what did Blinken do? He said, I don't care. I'm handing $75 million to Hamas. And what do you think that money was used for? Well, tragically, sadly, now we know. Um, the yeah, Unbelievable. All right. So, by the way, it's illegal. It is illegal to send a single dime to the Palestinians, period. And that's I'm talking about the PA, Mahmoud Abbas, and I'm talking about Hamas. It's called the Taylor Force Act. It was signed into law by President Trump. It got kicked around. That, that Taylor, the Taylor Force Act, which literally makes it illegal, as long as the Palestinians sponsor terror, okay, as long as they give stipends to terror families, you know, to, to, to the families of terrorists, et cetera, suicide bombers and people who are sitting in jail, 
who who murdered Israelis, murdered Jews. It is illegal to give them a single dime. Biden has been breaking the law, handing them hundreds of millions of dollars. They tried to get the Taylor Force Act signed under Obama. Of course, it never happened, but Trump made it happen. And and then he defunded the Palestinians as per the law. And Biden restored funding, breaking the law. But of course, he gets a total pass. Uh, Meanwhile, that $6 billion that Biden agreed to send, that that, that money right now is frozen. What happened was they froze that. That money was frozen because that money was seized from Iran. They seized $6 billion. And uh, then as part of this swap, this prisoner exchange, Biden promised uh, Iran to unfreeze the $6 billion. Meanwhile, that money is being held in escrow. That money is being actually held by Qatar. Qatar, by the way, a huge supporter of Hamas, of Iran. And Qatar's holding that money, okay? So they can still refreeze that $6 billion. It is egregious. It is totally disgraceful, totally reprehensible that they have not frozen that $6 billion. That $6 billion is being used to fund Hamas and Hezbollah and to help Iran build a nuclear weapon, period, which they are just days away from doing. And by the way, the JCPOA uh, is about to expire. Do you know that you know the, the Obama nuclear deal is about to sunset? It's literally the whole deal is about to expire, which is, a, which is totally disastrous and may not be coincidence. The timing of this Hamas attack may be strategically designed to coincide with the expiration of the JCPOA. We might get into that a little bit later on. But that $6 billion, they've got to free. So they froze it temporarily. They temporarily froze that money. And a lot of uh, members of Congress, both Republican and Democrats, are begging Biden, are imploring Biden, freeze that $6 billion. How could you possibly give Iran that $6 billion? How could you possibly hand them over $6 billion, which you know is going to fund Hamas and to help Hamas resist the Israelis and resist this uh, th- this bombardment and this attack and help Hamas and Hezbollah carry. And now Hezbollah, by the way, is, is fighting Israel to the north. So Israel's literally um, being attacked on all sides, and it's and it's Biden's money. Biden's $6 billion are what's being used to fund these terror groups that are attacking Israel on all fronts as we speak. And it just carried out the, 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 the worst, most tragic terror attack against uh, Jews— since the Holocaust, Rahman al-Islam. It's unbelievable. And let me explain something about the $6 billion. You know, they've asked Blinken, they've asked Jake Sullivan, they've asked Kirby, they, they've asked all these Biden advisors. They said, well, you gave Iran $6 billion, and look what Hamas has done. Isn't that $6 billion? Aren't you culpable? Because you handed them the money, and they keep saying the same thing. And it's nonsense. It's gibberish. It's drivel. They keep saying, that $6 billion, not a dime of it has been spent yet. That $6 billion, that's being still being held by Qatar. That wasn't released to Iran. So that money could not have been the money that we used to fund Hamas. Don't they realize, and of course they realize, that that's irrelevant. Once you guarantee the money, once Iran knows the money's in the bank, they spend the money, you know, they have the cash flow. They have the money sitting in their bank accounts, but they're not going to go and spend billions of dollars on a Hamas terror attack. Then how are they going to replenish that money? So Biden basically assured them we're going to replenish the money. So yeah, Iran's smart. They're not going to go and take... Six, wait, wait for the $6 billion to be deposited in the account, and then a day later say to Hamas and Hezbollah, here, go attack Israel. What, what, what they do is, of course, is they let that money stay frozen. They know that money's sitting there. It's like, all right, so we're going to pull it. It's like, it's like, let's say, you know, you know that money's coming in to a paycheck, right? So you pull money out of, you have a savings account, you pull a few bucks out of the savings account because you know you can just replenish it, unless you're like me, and it's like you forget a week later to actually replenish it, and then you have 12 of the bills that come on. 
you know, come along. So you, you never actually replenish it. So you're planning to replenish it, but it doesn't work. But that's how this, ha- this kind of stuff happens all the time, where Iran, Ar- Iran knew the money's coming from the U.S., $6 billion. They have that $6 billion basically in the bank. All right, let me fund Hamas, and then I'm going to replenish it with that $6 billion. As opposed to they don't take the $6 billion from Biden and just hand it over and say, here, Hamas, here's $6 billion from Biden. That's not how that works. So the fact that it hasn't been spent is meaningless because, of course, they once they know that money is on the way, then that's the money that they use in order to fund Hamas. It doesn't mean it's the same dollar bills. There are no dollar bills. The whole thing's di- uh, digital anyway, except for Obama. Obama actually putting cash money on pallets like a drug deal in the middle of the night on the, um, on, on the Iranian airport tarmac. All right, so let's do some updates here, the latest on the war in Israel, which, again, I do not like the term war. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll come up with a better term to use. Biden, President Biden is actually visiting Israel today, Wednesday. Now, what's interesting is uh, Blinken on Tuesday had a, had a meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu lasted eight hours. And what exactly are they talking about? I think one of the big discussions is that the United States is pressuring Israel, pressuring Netanyahu to, uh, to, you know, to avoid civilian casualties as much as possible. And Israel, it's ridiculous. I mean, avoid civilian casualties. Hamas uses civilians as human shields, period. So there's no such thing as avoiding. So if you avoid civilian casualties, what you're doing is you're letting Hamas roam free. And you're literally empowering Hamas to commit these kinds of attacks again. By the way, they've taken out a number of Hamas uh, top senior officials. Of course, Ismail Hania, who's the head of Hamas, the coward that he is, you know, he's in Qatar. His, his family is actually a, a, a house with a bunch of relatives of his was bombed by the Israelis. And I think many of his relatives were killed. His own son, Ismail Hania's own son was killed, I believe. But he's a total coward. So he, of course, is hiding out in Qatar. But the Israelis have taken out a number of senior uh, Hamas leaders. And look, we know how the Israelis bend over backward to avoid any sort of civilian casualties, but like the United States to put pressure on them, you know, outwardly a lot of this saying a lot of the right things, Israel's right to defend itself, and, you know, we, we hope that uh, there won't be a humanitarian crisis, and we want uh, civilian lives to be protected at all costs on both sides, but like, please, 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 stop with the civilian casualties on the side of, on, uh, 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 on the Gazan side of things. Stop worrying about the Palestinians in Gaza and, and, and their well-being, because who's putting them in harm's way? There's only one entity that's hurting the Palestinians, and that is Hamas, period. They make these people into human shields. They make them into the sacrifices. So if Israel, if, if there's collateral damage, and the Palestinians uh, in Gaza are injured, are killed, and look, there's going to be bad optics about this. I get that, and I'm very concerned about this, because as the weeks go by, and there's going to be a lot of casualties in Gaza, and again, it's Hamas's fault 100%, but Israel's doing the bombing, and then there's going to be a ground invasion, and they, they, they literally, they operate out of hospitals, they operate out of schools, so we're talking about women, children, and the, the numbers are going to get higher and higher. The media is going to turn on Israel very quickly. They've never been friends of Israel, so the Israelis are going to have a very messy situation from a PR standpoint, and it's almost impossible to do anything about that, but that doesn't mean they could possibly let up in any way. But either way, um, let's see... Uh, Blinken said Biden on his trip is going to reaffirm U.S. solidarity with Israel, condemn the Hamas terror attack. And by the way, there are Americans, you know, a bunch of American victims of the terror of the Hamas terror attack. And then there are a bunch of Americans who are being held hostage. And the big question is, what are you know, what's the United States doing about it so far? According to reports, very little. 
Um, let's see. Biden is going to continue coordination with Israel to ensure the release of the hostages in Gaza. Again, you know, all this stuff is very fluffy stuff. It's what you'd expect, but there's really no details, nothing concrete. So it's really hard to believe that Biden visiting Israel is going to accomplish anything, putting aside the fact that I'm not even sure President Biden even has any notion of what's going on. He's living in such a fog. And sadly, tragically, you know, he is completely, completely out of it at this point. So everything he does is purely symbolic. But Biden's supposed to hear from Israel how they plan to conduct their military ops in a way that minimizes civilian casualties. Wonderful. And uh, and, and Biden's going to pressure Israel to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza, but still not benefit Hamas leaders in any way. And again, that's going to be hard to do. You send money to Gaza, it's going straight to Hamas. So how are they going to send uh, humanitarian aid to Gaza without empowering Hamas. So here's the reason. What's the real reason that Biden is visiting Israel, meeting with Netanyahu? It's very simple. And what's Biden's whole agenda over here? And he's been very supportive of Israel, and I understand that and I appreciate that. He could have he's could have could have done more, but he's done a lot. I'll give him that. Biden, this is so, so crucial. Everybody's got to be aware here of Biden's agenda. What is Biden focused on in this entire conflict? One word. Iran, 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 Iran. Biden, does he care about the American hostages? I don't believe he cares about them for a second. He should. Of course he should. It's an act of war that a terror group uh, invaded Israel and uh, took a bunch of Americans, murdered a bunch of American citizens and took a bunch of American citizens hostage. But what this is about for Biden, it's about Iran. It's about his legacy. And when I say Biden, obviously, I mean Biden's advisors and Biden's cabinet administration, because Biden has no clue what's going on. I'm not sure he even knows how to spell Iran. But what this is about is Iran, because, uh, you know, for, for, for Biden to condemn a Hamas terror attack, you know, that's not controversial. But what Biden's terrified of, you know, what does he keep talking about? He keeps talking about he doesn't want the conflict to escalate. He doesn't want Hezbollah to get involved. He doesn't want Iran to get involved. He doesn't want other countries to get involved. That's number one. Number two, Biden has not mentioned Iran, and he's been criticized for this. He's been slammed for this because the the United States government, the the Biden administration, they're completely ignoring. There are so many links to Iran. They found weapons, and the weapons that they found were clearly, there is absolute proof beyond doubt that the weapons that were discovered that were used by Hamas in this terror attack were manufactured in Iran. We know about Iran being Hamas's number one state sponsor. This has Iran's fingerprints all over it. Nobody has any doubt that, and now Hezbollah, of course, is attacking Israel from the north, hoping that they'll be distracted by their uh, bombardment of Gaza in the south and hoping that it'll be difficult for Israel to respond on two fronts. Hezbollah is a puppet of Iran. So that's what's happening here is that Biden is terrified. Biden is still planning to cut his deal with Iran. If you think that this whole attack and this whole conflict is somehow going to interfere with Biden's legacy and Biden's ambitions and the fact that for the last two and a half years, the the Biden administration has been dead set on um, restoring some sort of bogus nuclear deal, similar to the Obama deal, even worse, uh, if you think that's even possible, Biden is dead set on cutting a deal with Iran on restoring the JCPOA, as they call it, restoring the Iran, new, the, the Obama nuclear deal. That is Biden's vision. That's what he hopes his legacy to be. And this now has created a major, major hurdle. This is a huge hiccup now because how could Biden possibly gave him the $6 billion? They had that prisoner swap. All that was done as a precursor because they're trying to prime Iran. They're trying to get cozy with Iran. And Biden is desperate, desperate to cut a nuclear deal with Iran. 
and make that be his legacy, especially heading into the 2024 election. So this now has created a major, major problem for the Biden administration, because how could they possibly justify? You have you have American public opinion and you have Democrats now urging, pressuring Biden, begging Biden, freeze the six billion dollars. How could you possibly talk to Iran? How could you possibly have any kind of negotiation with Iran at this point? So Biden is desperately, desperately trying to salvage that. So he's going to go to Israel. He's going to say, you want to bombard Hamas, bombard Hamas all you want. I don't care, but just do not attack Iran. Do not bring Iran into this equation. Biden has strategically not mentioned Iran. The White House has not mentioned Iran. They're trying to pretend, oh, yeah, this is in a bubble. This is something between Israel and Hamas, but this has nothing to do with Iran. That, it, mark my words. And I'm open if somebody has other, you know, uh, opinions over here. Yeah, Biden's going to Israel. He, of course, he wants to shore up Jewish support and all of that. That's not what this is about. This is all about Iran. If you keep paying attention, you will notice that Biden and the White House are doing everything possible, bending over backward to distance Iran from this entire situation. All right. Meanwhile, President Biden will meet with uh, King Abdullah, President Sisi, El Sisi of, of, of Egypt. Uh, he was supposed to be with Mahmoud Abbas. I think Mahmoud Abbas canceled that meeting because what happened was, and I don't want to get into this right now, but uh, there was a hospital that uh, apparently was hit by a missile in Gaza, and they're saying that there were a bunch of casualties, including children. And um, the, uh, the, the 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 Israelis are saying, and I'm sure that they're right. They're saying they had nothing to do with this. This was a Hamas rocket that misfired. Now, I don't believe that it misfired, by the way. I think when one of these rockets misfire, I think it intentionally misfires. But either way, apparently it's a Hamas rocket. This is what they do is. Because, you know, they want the PR and because they want the propaganda. So they actually murder their own people, including their own innocent children. And then they want it to be blamed on Israel. And that's exactly how this is playing out. So now supposedly Mahmoud Abbas, as a result of that, is canceling his his uh, meeting with Biden. So we'll see how that goes. Um, so uh, we're going to keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, more Israel news. More than 100 trucks of humanitarian aid are currently at the Egyptian side of the Rafah border crossing, waiting to be allowed into Gaza. But uh, there are reports that the Rafa um, gate, the Rafa crossing, which is basically the only crossing that I understand, as I understand it, between Egypt and Gaza, that that has been closed. So essentially, they're not able to send humanitarian aid through Egypt into Gaza. And look, this stuff is being blockaded. I keep saying again and again between the Egyptians and the Gazans, you know, the the, the uh, they're not letting Gaza refugees out of into Egypt to the Rafa border. To the Rafa Cross, and they're not letting um, humanitarian aid from Egypt into Gaza. The Egyptians are blaming Israel and blaming Hamas. Hamas is blaming Egypt and is blaming Israel. Both of them, of course, are blaming Israel, but it doesn't do Israel. Egypt has no interest in Palestinian refugees. Why they're not allowing the humanitarian aid in? The only explanation I have is, and I'm sure I'm right, is that Hamas is not letting it in because Hamas is desperate for humanitarian crisis because. All that does is benefit them. Like I said, they will murder their own people if it helps their cause, period. If it helps their narrative, if it helps shift pu public opinion in their favor. That's what this is all about. Make no mistake about it. So, they, you know, they are not. And, 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 and it's unbelievable because Jordan says they're not allowing any Palestinian refugees. Uh, and these other countries, you know, uh, these Gulf states, Saudi Arabia and Turkey, none of these countries allow the Palestinians. And why? Because they look at the Palestinians as vermin. Keep that in mind. They look at them as subhuman. They have disdain and, and hatred for the Palestinians. So it's amazing how they get a pass. The Israelis are the ones that get, get blamed. Uh, the Israelis have millions of Arabs living in their country. They get blamed for somehow being racist. These other countries are racist because 
They despise, they literally look at Palestinians as being inferior, as being subhuman. No exaggeration. Look around. Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, name any Arab state. Not one of them has agreed to take a single Palestinian refugee in. Why? Because they hate them. All right. Meanwhile, Israel has asked the United States for $10 billion in emergency military funding. But here's what's amazing. They're preparing a package, okay? Congress is preparing a funding package uh, to, to send to Israel billions of dollars, but they're tying it in to money for Ukraine. Can you believe this? The, an aid package being put together by Congress in coordination with White House and the Biden administration includes funds for Ukraine, Taiwan, and the U.S.-Mexico border, This, is, uh, according to the New York Times. It's, uh, it is unreal. It is egregious, okay? What's going on in Israel? Israel, as I've always said, America's number one ally. Israel, any money that we send to Israel protect American citizens. It might benefit America more than it benefits Israel. It's supposed to money that gets sent to Ukraine, which ends up in Zelensky's pockets. So they're tying it's on the, these politicians. They are such a, a disgraceful bunch. It's so outrageous that they're literally linking aid to Israel right now in light of what has gone on to funding to Ukraine. And again, well, but Ukraine, Ukraine's been victimized by Putin, Ukraine this, Ukraine that. We've sent them $73 billion and we keep sending them more money. And that money has gone. The money we sent to Israel gets used for defense systems, gets used for technology, gets used to literally keep peace in the Middle East and prevent threats to the United States and to Europe. The money that we send Ukraine has done absolutely nothing. It's prolonged a war that's a never-ending war. All right, and the White House says no conditions on military aid um, that the U.S. is providing. Uh, Here's a quote from John Kirby. Quote, they have a right to defend themselves. They have a right to go after this terrorist threat. We'll do everything we can to help them. Why has the ground invasion been delayed? So sources have told the Jerusalem Post that one reason, wow, it's been uh, going long over here. Hopefully we're covering a lot of uh, interesting information. I would hope, hope you're, hope you're liking this information. But um, let's see. One factor is a growing concern that Hezbollah is basically ra- waiting to pounce. This is interesting. I'll just quote you here from the Jerusalem Post. The fact that Hezbollah did not engage with Israel. Remember, Hezbollah is in the north. They're coming out of, of Lebanon, but they're a proxy of Iran, just they're, they're the same as Hamas, just in a different place. So the fact that Hezbollah has not engaged with Israel yet and kept it at its attacks at a minimum does not prove they're deterred. It might be part of an elaborate fake-out to lure the IDF into a full sense of security, similar to what Hamas pulled off in the south. Israeli intel and the government seem to have a new level of humility about their assessments of enemy intentions after they missed the boat regarding Hamas. So um, the idea of will invade Gaza, the ground in- in- invasion in all likelihood is imminent, but they want to double check and triple check to make sure that they know he- Hezbollah's intentions because they do not want to get caught off guard. In addition, they want to be well prepared. They don't want to rush in. It, make- it makes no sense for Israel to rush in and uh, carry out a ground invasion too quickly, too hastily, too impetuously without being well prepared. They want to surprise Everyone knows it's coming, but they still want, it, want some tactical surprises. And especially since uh, the Israelis have not um, pulled off a ground invasion in many, many years, in almost uh, 20 years. All right, Elon Omar, the squad. I mean, they're, they're so they're so disgraceful. Elon Omar, Tlaib, Ocasio, they're condoning the Hamas barbarians. They're supporting Hamas. They literally should be ousted from the Democrat Party. And Rashida Tlaib, of course, um, multiple times refused to condemn Hamas's murder of innocent babies, innocent women and children, horrific, horrific atrocities that were carried out. Elon Omar, uh, she actually uh, posted a piece of fake propaganda. And and, uh, as far as I'm aware, she still has not deleted it. She posted a fake picture accusing Israel of of genocide, of child genocide. And it's literally a fake picture. 
Ilan Omar posted a picture from 2013. 2013, a picture of, of Bashar al-Assad in Syria gassing his own people and gassing a bunch of children, using chemical weapons on children. So there was a picture of a bunch of children who were murdered, 614 or, I don't know, dozens and dozens of, of murdered children. And Elon Omar tweeted this this week, um, saying that they were murdered by Israeli forces. But it turns out that that picture is literally, we have proof, it's from 2013. And it's children in Damascus, Syria, after they succumbed to chemical weapon poisoning by their own dictator, by Bashar al-Assad. Uh, all right, let's get to the news of the day. Jim Jordan. Will he be Speaker of the House? Look, it's not looking good. It's looking bleak. Some And the Republican Party is dysfunctional, and somebody's got to become Speaker of the House. So maybe it'll be Jim Jordan, but he did lose the first round. Now, that could, you know, that could change. He might garner more support. He's close. But Steve Scalise was also close, you know, and Kevin McCarthy was also close those first uh, 12 or 13 attempts when, when he was elected Speaker. So... Look, I don't know what's going to end up happening. There's like 20 holdouts. I have no idea why they are holding out. I mean, it, the Repu- you, you've got to choose. You know, the Democrats never do this. They choose the person that they feel has the biggest consensus of support. No one speaker is going to be beloved by their entire conference. No one speaker in either party, Democrat or Republican, is going to be beloved by the entire party. You've got to find somebody who has a consensus, find somebody who, for the most part, you can believe in, who you think is going to you know, unite the party, simple as that. And right now there's so much discord in the Republican Party. But, but if Jim, so we have no idea. We are going to have to wait and see. There's 20 holdouts. He needs like 15 or 16. He doesn't need every Republican, but he needs like almost every Republican. He can afford to lose like three or four defectors. So, and look, they're not going, they're not voting for Akeem Jeffries on the Democrat side. They're voting for like people like Kevin McCarthy. Steve Scalise, I think, would have been uh, an excellent choice for speaker. Some people had reservations about that. Uh, I have no idea what the reservations are. Jim Jordan would be, uh, you know, like, what do they disagree with Jim Jordan about? It's not a policy thing. This is about politics. This is about ego. This is about some people are annoyed that, you know, Matt Gates ousted uh, Kevin McCarthy, even though I don't think Jim Jordan voted against Kevin McCarthy. So I don't know why they're taking it out on Jordan. But it's kind of like a protest or something. But look, bottom line, this would be a dream come true. I never in my wildest imagination dreamed Jim Jordan would be the Speaker of the House because he is pretty conservative, and traditionally it tends to be a moderate. I'm not happy about that. Pelosi was very radically left, and so uh, and, and and yet they elected her, and it, and, it, and it did so much good for the Democrat Party because she really, really pushed hard for the radical leftist agenda. Well, Jim Jordan could do that exact same thing on the other side. He'd be the most conservative speaker ever. Uh, he'd literally be the equivalent of Pelosi. Also, he wouldn't back down. He wouldn't compromise. He wouldn't cut deals with the Democrats. Look at look at Jim Jordan's record, and I can go on and on. I've been, you know, I've played clips of him in the past. I, I'm I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Jim Jordan. You know, I, he sees eye to eye with us. Uh, you know, the, the at least myself and probably a lot of people who listen to this show on virtually every issue. He wants to lower taxes. He wants to cut spending. He wants to reduce inflation. He wants to stop borrowing and spending. He wants to balance the budget. He wants a secure border. He wants to be tough on Iran. He wants to punish those people who have weaponized the DOJ. That includes Merrick Garland. That includes. You know, uh, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, you name it. They, he, he wants to weed out Democrat corruption, drain the swamp. And I don't believe he's going to cut deals. He'll never. Not I don't believe. He will never, ever. When it comes down to passing a budget, he'll shut down the government if that's what needs to happen. He will do whatever he needs to do to, to cut spending. And they know it. He would be the Democrats' worst nightmare. He'd be Biden's worst nightmare. The question is, does he have the votes? Uh, maybe he could rally the party. You know, I, I still kind of have a feeling, I've said this before, I think that Kevin McCarthy ultimately is going to be 
the Speaker of the House. It's not out of the question because if Scalise, Scalise lost, you know, if Jim Jordan, look, if Jim Jordan wins, I will be the happiest person on earth. But it could be that McCarthy, if, if Jordan just doesn't have the votes, what do they do? So maybe McCarthy learned his lesson. Maybe McCarthy, you know, makes amends with Matt Gates and says, listen, I messed up. I broke my pledges and this will never, ever happen again. So we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, a letter has been sent to Biden by 113 members of Congress demanding that he be tougher on Iran. This is what I said before, is that Biden is ignoring Iran's culpability in this Hamas terror attack. Biden is desperate, desperate, desperate to make sure the $6 billion goes to Iran and to cut a deal with Iran. And this Hamas attack has done everything it could to undermine that. Um, now, the JCPOA, the Obama nuclear deal, it expires. Almost all the provisions expire this month. So what's happening here is now that it's expiring, they can restore sanctions. So you have 60 Democrat, House Democrats, 63 House Democrats, 50 House Republicans. And I'm not sure why the other Republicans didn't sign on this, but they're urging Biden to take a stronger stance against Iran or take all necessary steps. They're talking about U.S. sanctions, the end of Iran's oil trade with China, maximum U.S. sanctions. And they encourage Biden to work with Europe to renew ballistic missile sanctions um, and to put pressure on Qatar and Turkey, who are Hamas supporters and uh, uh, allies of Iran as well. So this is pretty fascinating because Israel now is going to have to dismantle, you know, the, the, the Iranian nuclear facilities. I mean, Iran is a couple of weeks away and the JCPOA is expiring. This is the nightmare scenario here coming up. We, we haven't been paid attention to this. Well, we, we, we paid attention to this nonstop in terms of, Iran and how they've breached the nuclear deal repeatedly and they've gotten zero consequences and they're this close to a nuclear weapon. But the fact, the timing here and the fact that the Hamas attack coincides with the expiring of the sanctions on Iran as a result of the, or the sanctions that were lifted on Iran as a result, as a result of the Iran nuclear deal and, and the limits on Iran in terms of the centrifuges, in terms of enriching uranium and uh, developing, um, nuclear warheads and all of that. I mean, this is a very, very, very frightening time in terms of the Iran uh, nuclear uh, capabilities. Meanwhile, two Iranian illegals were captured at the southern border in the last two weeks, according to CBP. And uh, so the, the, and, and you have thousands and thousands of illegals. You have millions, six million illegals crossing the border, thanks to Biden. But Thousands and thousands are linked to terror groups, and you literally have two Iranian nationals captured at the southern border in the past two weeks, but there have been dozens, if not hundreds, of Iranians who have attempted to cross the border and have crossed the border illegally thanks to Biden. The Biden has opened up, in addition to the whole disastrous mess, the migrant crisis, as they call it, millions and millions of, of, of illegals in the United States being funded by us and nowhere to put them. But in addition to all that, you had two Iranian nationals captured at the southern border. 75,000 illegals, we told you in the past year, flagged over having links with terror. I mean, so they're coming for America. Think about that. All right. Economist Paul Krugman, leftist economist for The New York Times, was slammed on social media after he used statistics to prove inflation was over and show that prices have leveled off. Don't worry. Prices are evening out. By the way, even when inflation is over, inflation is not over. It's just it's rising every month. But at a lower rate than it was rising. So prices are still through the roof. No, prices are not going down. That is not happening. Maybe, maybe if Trump if Trump gets elected. It's just that, and they're going up. Not only are they going up, they're not even stabilizing. They're just not going up as quickly. But either way, we, that's that, that, that's a story for a different day. But 
Here's the problem. Krugman, he like brought all these prices of different goods. He was talking about the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and gave all these examples of how you see that inflation is leveling off. But the problem is he left out some basic products. He left out food, mortgage, rent, energy, and used cars. So what what did he include? Like, what did he measure? Caviar? Like a trip to Dubai? Like diamond rings? It's it, 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 it's unbelievable. You can't make this stuff up. So uh, Krugman posted a tweet saying the latest CPI uh, numbers, consumer price index numbers show inflation is over. And it was defeated at little cost. Quote, the war on inflation is over, Krugman said. He's a an economics professor at CUNY, of course, New York Times columnist. And he said, quote, we won at very little cost. And then a community note, of course, uh, on Twitter, because these tweets now, thanks to Elon Musk, have these beautiful community notes, these fact checks. Quote, the exclusion of food, shelter, energy, and used cars is misleading. Um, all prices included in CPI shows year-over-year inflation at 3.7% as of September. And by the way, 3.7% is not fair year-over-year because that's comparing it to last year. Last year it was already through the roof. So they've got to compare it to when Trump was president or when Biden first took office. E.J. Antoni, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, told Fox Business that Krugman's tweet was dishonest. Quote, Krugman's so-called analysis would make Goebbels blush at its dishonesty. There's another example that if you torture the data enough, it will confess to anything. Krugman literally lose, re- removed 58% of the entire CPI index to bring inflation down to 2%. It's just totally, totally disgraceful. Chicago is giving $9,000 to each illegal to assist with temporary housing. Each illegal gets $9,000 to be able to pay rent for the next six months. And they've already spent millions and millions of dollars. They're having a massive crisis of illegals, migrant crisis, as they call it, undocumented migrants, um, as we've known about for quite some time. Uh, well, I'm going to have to leave this because, wow, we are way too long on time over here. And I want to get to that the, that caller. Vivek Ramaswani is opposed to blacklisting Harvard students who support Hamas. I'm very upset about that. David Friedman, former uh, Trump ambassador to Israel, called out Vivek. This is the, uh, We've had a bunch of red flags about Vivek and Israel, so we're going to have to leave that hopefully for next time. Starbucks has threatened a lawsuit against a union that supports Hamas. Thousands of Starbucks employees belong to this union. Now, it's like 9,000 or so Starbucks employees belong to this union. Um, the Starbucks Workers United Union that expressed solidarity with Palestine. And Starbucks is threatening a lawsuit. Very simple. Fire the employees. Any employee, and it's not a large chunk of their employees, but fi- and there have been boycotts against Starbucks, and that's good. But fire Every employee who belongs to this union and they support Palestine, either you denounce the union, either you resign from the union, quit the union, or you're fired, period. But, of course, Starbucks does not have the courage to do that. Okay, um, let's see here. So the caller says that I'm a Trump lover and he's a DeSantis hater and I defend Trump at all costs. And now, uh, let me just say that, and he said, let's see, he said that Trump, he asked me if I condone the fact that Trump attacked Bibi Netanyahu and here were his words. He said, I want to know if you're going to defend Bibi because you like the way you defend everything that Trump does. I'm sorry, if you'll defend Trump, not Bibi, the way you defend everything Trump does. All right, we're not going to have time. We're going to have to pick some of this up next time, I see, because we're way, way, way over time here. But um, number one, the caller said that I defend everything Trump does. Those of you who been listening for a long time, I don't defend everything Trump does. Okay, I'm fair about Trump. I never defended his meeting. I was very, very um, critical of his meeting with Kanye and his meeting with Nick Fuentes. Does that negate all the good? No, it does not. But I was critical of that. I've been critical of Trump. I was critical of Trump, uh, you know, for not repealing Obamacare. I know it wasn't his fault. I know we can make excuses, but bottom line, he, that was a campaign promise 
that he pledged. He did not repeal Obamacare. You want to say McCain sabotaged? Okay. Uh, there are times when Trump has crossed the line. You know, I won't go into all of them now, but uh, there certainly were times when Trump made mistakes. I was I was critical of Trump. You know, the caller was pointing out how Trump uh, was a big spender and Trump uh, added trillions of dollars to uh, national debt. I've been the biggest critic of Trump over over adding trillions to the national debt. I, I, I'm not going to defend that. And that gets to a fundamental and, 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 and all the COVID relief, the trillions of dollars in COVID relief spending. Look, there was a lockdown at first, you know, kind of everybody understood that there was no option, but then it got carried away. Trump spent trillions on COVID relief and it got out of hand and it's still causing us problems to this day. So I'm more than happy to be critical of Trump. Now, is he like 98% great for the country and 2% problematic? Something along those lines. Is he the best we're going to get by far? Yes. Okay. Are some of his tweets? Some of his tweets get carried away. Does it? Does he cause harm? You know, maybe with the classified documents, even though it's bogus. The whole trial is totally bogus with the classified documents. But could he have been a little bit more careful? Uh, maybe. 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 Maybe not. I, I don't think it's a big deal. But you know, we can. You know, we we can quibble and debate about these things. But the point is, the, the the caller said, "Well, you defend everything that Trump does." No, I don't defend everything Trump does. But I like the caller. He was very courteous. And, uh, you know, very respectful and uh, very articulate. I disagreed with a lot of his points. But here's what, uh, you know, here, here but, he, but here's the bigger picture. I'm going to get into Bibi's comments about Hezbollah and about uh, DeSantis in a moment. Uh, DeSantis, not DeSantis, about Bibi Netanyahu. Trump's comments about Bibi and about uh, Hezbollah. But here's the thing. Just a very fundamental point. I'm not a Trump, calling me a Trump lover is kind of missing the point, okay? And anyone who starts talking those terms, Trump lover, DeSantis hater, Nikki Haley lover, here's the thing. To me, it's not about the person. Once you make it about the person, then you already lost. Because it's about the country, it's about the policies, it's about the results. It's not about the person, it's about the results. So if there's a president who you don't like his tweets, but he does an awful lot of good for the country, or you have some other issues with the president, you know, if the president, uh, there the are things that he does which you feel are bad from a character's perspective, he's immoral. I always say I would not tr- want, tr- want want my kids to be friendly with Trump. I wouldn't want Trump to be my next door neighbor because I think he'd be a bad influence because I have problems with his personal demeanor, his personal characteristics. He's got a lot of flaws. That doesn't mean he can't be a great president. And there are some people out there with stellar uh, character uh, traits, okay? Some people out there are the finest, nicest people, great tweets, wonderful, positive, keep their promises, etc. And they'd make a terrible president. So, like, one thing has nothing to do with the other. So you start talking about Trump, DeSantis, don't talk about them as people, because I don't care about them from a personal standpoint. Not that that's not important. It's just not important to when we're picking a president of the United States. When you're picking a president, when you're picking somebody to lead the country, it's all about the results. I don't care about the tweets. I don't care if I dislike them. I don't care if you think that they're immoral or that they've done, you know, terrible things in their personal life or that they, uh, they you know, alienate their families. I don't care. I care about that, like, like on tiny, tiny level. I guess it's good to have somebody in office with, 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 with good character, but that's really, really a very tiny sliver of what matters. So the whole, the whole thrust of the call was all about how, like, DeSantis, he likes, you know, this person and this person upstanding. And then we talked about, he talked about policies too. You know, he did, uh, he, he, he did get into actual policies and we'll get into that, but it's, it's about the policies only. Okay. I don't want to get into, you love this, you know, and, and let me explain, you know, we talk about Trump lover or not Trump lover. Right now, if you told me that a monkey could be in office and a monkey would accomplish everything Trump accomplished, I'll vote for the monkey. I don't care who it is. And if you tell me, by the way, that Nikki Haley, 
or Ron DeSantis can get into the White House and have the courage to do the things that Trump did in building the wall. And the caller said Trump didn't build as much of a wall as he promised. We're not going to get to that right now. But build the wall, the travel ban, which now we see after this attack more is more important and crucial than ever before. Uh, secure the border. Keep the economy booming, booming. If you told me that DeSantis can do all that, I'll take DeSantis in a heartbeat. I'll take Nikki Haley in a heartbeat. I'll take I'll take my Pence in a heartbeat. I will take virtual. I'll take Tim Scott. I'll take any of these people. It's not about the person. It's whether they can accomplish the things that we need them to accomplish. And Trump already did it. He's a proven commodity. And most presidents fail. Most and it doesn't mean that Trump didn't mess up on certain areas. But for the most part, he advanced the conservative agenda more than ever. So this caller says, I'm a conservative, but I'm a Trump hater. How can you be a conservative and be a Trump hater? The whole thing is a contradiction to me because by definition, if you're conservative, Trump, did he do everything right? Did he spend too much for conservative? Did he, did, 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 did he borrow too much? Yes. But did he, did, did he fulfill 95% of what any conservative, any, you know, red, red-blooded conservative would want him to accomplish? That and much, much, much more. And he did it under immense pressure on the Russia hoax and impeachment. And they put so much pressure on him. They destroyed him, destroyed his family. And he still managed to withstand it. He built a ton of wall. I never I, I get a ton of credit. I never thought he'd be able to do it because you need Congress. You need the funding, funding to originate from Congress. He shut the government down, which was under enormous pressure. And he got a lot of backlash for. So there's so many things he did. So I just don't believe and I hope I'm wrong. I don't believe Nikki Haley has the stomach to do what Trump did. But if she does, then great. It's not about the person. So people think I'm a Trump lover. Trump's a proven commodity. Trump was able to do things that I never expected anybody to do and that most presidents wouldn't have the courage to do and under enormous pressure. So now the question becomes, well, can DeSantis do it? I don't know. But can Trump do it? We know he can. We know he can because he did. Can DeSantis do it? We don't know. Maybe. So I'm not a DeSantis lover or not DeSantis lover. DeSantis, to me, I just don't know. He says all the right things. So that was my Big issue with the whole thrust of the caller was like, it's about Trump, it's about this, it's about Vivek, it's about uh, Haley, it's about this. It's not about any of them. I want to get it done. If you told me the crystal ball, DeSantis can do this stuff that I need done, then I'll be thrilled to have DeSantis. But the reason I support Trump, I'm not supporting him Trump for the primaries. I, I, he's going to win, but I'm not even supporting that. But the reason that I am, uh, let's call it higher on Trump than the others is only because Trump managed to do something that I think is virtually impossible for anybody to do. If another candidate could do it, then great, because I'm I'm not tied into Trump. I'm not bound to any one candidate. This caller is. This caller, at the very least, he's tied away from Trump. This caller, it like, refuses. Like, I almost got the feeling this caller, he'd stay home versus voting for Trump. Makes no sense. If you're a conservative, that makes no sense, because he's done so much. Well, you're annoyed, but he this, but he that, but BB, but tweets. So what? So that was my main issue with the tr- with, with, with the call. And I'll get into a little bit more nitty-gritty specifics. And, wow, this is a very long show, much longer than I expected. But um, so, but but uh, two things. So 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 what Trump said about BB. Trump said BB's got to be held accountable because this was a monumental, colossal failure, both on the part of Israeli intelligence and on the part of the military. This whole attack. I mean, it's inexplicable. I, I do not understand it. Now is not the time to analyze and figure out. There will be a time, but there's a lot of people who do not have faith right now in the Israeli government. Um, and, uh, here's what I say about that. Trump is right. BB's accountable. And, 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 uh, starting to my father, as my father pointed out, you know, the head of the country is accountable if there's a major, major failure in Intel. And that leads to the loss of human life on this magnitude, this proportion, unspeakable magnitude of this attack. The, the leader has to take the blame. If if, if you want to take away the blame from BB, then, and you tell me, but it's on his fault, but it was the defense and this went wrong and that went wrong. 
If you want to take the blame, he's not accountable, fine. But then don't give him the credit for all the good stuff that happens. Because all that stuff also, is it gets credit to the military and the Mossad, not to Netanyahu. The answer is the prime minister or the president is, is always the one who's accountable. And he gets the credit when things go well, and he's got to get the blame. You want to take away the blame, then take away the credit, and then Bibi's neutral, and then... Wow, that you're taking away an awful lot of accomplishments he's done over the years. And I've been, I've been the biggest fan of Bibi Netanyahu. I've been the biggest fan of Bibi Netanyahu. Now we got to hear the details. we got to find out what went wrong. So I'm not saying you got to get rid of Bibi tomorrow, but to not hold him accountable and to not say, listen, if something like this happens, the prime minister has to take the blame. He has to take the blame. I don't see any other option. That's what Trump said. And, uh, and Trump's right about that. And in addition, Trump said Hezbollah's smart. Trump has said Putin is smart. People get outraged when he said Putin's smart, when he said Hezbollah's smart. He, he said stuff about other evil dictators that they're smart. He said Hezbollah outsmarted Israel. I, I'm sorry, not Hezbollah, Hamas. Hamas and Hezbollah both, but, but we're talking about Hamas over here. Yeah, he's right. Uh, I, I mean, how, how can you, I mean, look what Hamas did. Look what they pulled off over here. doesn't mean he's supporting it. This is the problem is people conflate. It's like when Trump says something positive about an evil person, people say that he's supporting that, that person or that group. No, he's not. He's stating the fact. The facts are that these people are intelligent, okay? Saying they're intelligent is not, does not equate you with being a supporter. It's just you're saying that they are smart. They're smart. So Trump was right about saying BB has to be held accountable. Doesn't mean he's got to get fired and taken out of office. And maybe that's what Trump said and fine, whatever. You can, you know, that's a minor point. But the, the, the accountability starts at the top, period. Now, he's right about that. I don't see any way of denying that. Now, Trump was right that Hamas outsmarted Israel in this particular scenario. It doesn't mean Israel doesn't take away from Israel, doesn't negate all the incredible achievements. Israel's Israel intel. They still have the best intel in the world. Israel's still, you know, uh, unparalleled in their intel, their defense, their military, etc. Every country on the planet comes to Israel for security, for intel, for everything else. It doesn't take away, but in this particular instance, Hamas outsmarted and Hamas showed that they're very strategic, very smart, and they were totally, we totally underestimated them. Um, so Trump was right about that. Now, your issue was the timing. Okay, he shouldn't have said it last week. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. And I'll call him out on that. And I will, and I will criticize Trump on that. Does that mean, number one, we, we, we should expect it by now because we know it's just, it's Trump being Trump. That's not a defense. People think, oh, you're defending Trump because you say, well, that's Trump. No, it's not. But I love it when people act surprised. Like Trump does something like vintage, you know, he says something nasty about Omar or he puts out a nasty tweet or whatever. And it's like, oh, people are shocked. How can he? Why are you shocked? Don't be shocked. You can disagree. You can criticize. I don't think Trump should have said it. But like, I'm not shocked. We've come to know that this is Trump being Trump. Like anyone who's shocked is just like living in a bubble, like living in a cave. So, yes, I agree with you that that's a criticism that the timing was bad. He shouldn't have said it. I totally agree with that. And I'll criticize Trump. I'll call him out on that. But that's not like a, a major, major, um, you know, character flaw. That's just Trump being Trump. Uh, I'm not condoning it, but, you know, kind of. It is what it is. The other point the caller made, and then we got to stop, is the caller says, you know, I've talked about how Trump, his messaging is very simple. And I've said it's like on a fifth grade level. And the media uses that to knock Trump. They're like elitist. So it's like Trump speaks on a fifth grade level. You know, build the wall, drain the swamp, MAGA make America great again, and, you know, lock her up. And he has so many of these slogans, and he, and, and, and he kind of waters it down so that anybody can relate to it. I think it's brilliant marketing and branding tactic. And what the caller basically said was, that's because Trump himself, Caller agreed to me that it might be very effective as far as messaging goes. It is. It's so effective. I mean, uh, look at look at companies, by the way. Look at Coca-Cola. Look at, you know, all these non-Jews. Look at Geico. 15 minutes can save 15% or less on car insurance. Like, they always dumb it down to a very simple narrative because that's what people's attention spans are, are, are you know, are geared for. <laughs> pretty, pretty simple. So Trump's a master when it comes to marketing and branding. The Caller said, yeah, but Trump doesn't understand 
the issues. His whole understanding is on a fifth grade level. He, he literally, his words were he thinks on a level of a child. So the, the goal I made it about, I believe that Trump understands things on a very deep level, but he dumbs it down, kind of he waters it down from a marketing standpoint. He wants to make it a simple message and a clear message. So he'll take complicated things, make them simple. And I truly believe that. The caller was making it like, well, no, but you don't understand. Trump, that he actually thinks on a child level. He actually thinks on that level. He doesn't understand. He doesn't have a deep grasp. We've said this many times. He doesn't have a deep fundamental grasp of the issues. And I think that's absurd. And, and, and that's a negative in, in, in who you want to lead this country. That was the coldest point. It's nuts. I mean, it's nuts. First of all, just look at all of Trump's achievements as president. Look at how he managed to close the border. Look at the standoff with Mexico. Look at the tariffs on China. Look at uh, what he did to Iran. He crushed Iran. Iran's economy was decimated. He killed Colta Soleimani. I can go on and on. Trump, there's so many things he accomplished. But Trump was a businessman. Trump, in the 1970s, 1980s, he was making like billions of dollars. He like literally made billions of dollars, created an empire. Then, he, by the way, he lost the money, went bankrupt. Then he created it again into a billion-dollar empire. So how do you do that twice? And you're thinking on a fifth grade level, I can't get over the caller totally undermining and amazing how Trump, they always undermine and underestimate the man. And then he had this hit television show. He had this hit network television show on NBC, which which was totally, totally different skill set. And he was very successful with that. And then he managed to become president against all odds and and, and, and uh, take down not just the Bush dynasty, but the Clinton dynasty. And yet uh, Trump's entire grasp of policies and of, you know, uh, the politics and, and, and everything else and government and everything else and probably business, too. Right. Because if you're not smart, you're not smart. He just thinks on a fifth grade level. How could you possibly, possibly think that? How could any rational human being look at what Trump has accomplished in his life and say he doesn't have a deep grasp? He basically thinks like a fifth grader. It, it, it boggles the mind. All right, that's going to do us do it on perhaps the longest show we've ever done. I hope you managed to stay till the end, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I love your feedback. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.